Roy Moore lost in Alabama. Could the results have an impact here in Indiana? This as Congress looks ahead to a crucial vote on tax reform. Plus, the latest on the controversy over cannabis oil. We sit down one-on-one -on -one with Governor Eric Holcomb to talk about the year to come and to look back at his first year in office. It's all ahead on this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. And good morning, everyone. I'm Bob Donaldson in today for Dan Spieler. What a week in politics from the stunning election in Alabama to the latest on tax reform. A number of big developments in D.C. will continue to have an impact here in Indiana. This week, Congress has worked out the details on tax reform. After last-minute negotiations between the House and Senate, they're hoping to vote on the final version of that bill this coming week. The president's still hoping to sign the bill by Christmas. Meantime, Vice President Pence delaying his trip to the Middle East so he can preside over the Senate and, if necessary, cast the breaking vote. Republicans are hoping to get tax reform done before the new year begins when Alabama's new senator is seated. Doug Jones is the first Democrat to win a Senate seat in more than two decades in Alabama. It was a stunning upset. The election got national attention, of course, because of those sexual misconduct allegations against Republican Roy Moore. It could have a big effect on 2018 midterms, including the Senate race here in Indiana. We'll talk more about that later this morning. And we're also talking today about the controversy over CBD oil here in Indiana. Governor Eric Holcomb says he believes products without any THC are legal to sell and possess. That directly contradicts Attorney General Curtis Hill's directive saying all CBD products are illegal. Lawmakers are working to clarify the state law. Hill also wrote an op-ed this week clarifying his position. That's just one of the issues we discussed with Governor Holcomb in a one-on-one -on -one interview about his first year on the job. The governor sat down with our Dan Spieler at the State House to also talk about some of the challenges in the year ahead. We did some unprecedented things in, in just less than a year. We, we um, uh, added a direct flight to a European market like we've never had before. This is very good news about Indiana's connection with the world. We've, we um, visited um, some, some nations that we've never been to before. India, Hungary, good news has come from all three of those of those visits, um, in terms of in terms of Paris, France, and um, Hungary and, and uh, India, we now have a infrastructure program, roads and bridges program that's you're going to see about seven and a half billion dollars put into our state roads and bridges over the, just the next five years. A lot of progress on on multiple fronts, but our work's never done, and we're not at the ultimate destination yet but we're moving in the right direction. You made some moves in, in the first few months that uh, the Governor Pence did not make, the lead crisis situation in East Chicago, pardoning Keith Cooper. And many have said the legislative session was relatively free of controversy or social issues. Uh, co columnist Matthew Tully said, uh, your cheerleading of our state is a good thing in this grumpy political era. And he called you a governor who is, quote, focused not on our divisions, but on the things that unite us. Is that how you see yourself? I hope so. Um, I, I, m many hands don't make light work, but they sure make it easier to lift. And, um, and we've got some big challenges out there. And I've just spent my entire life as a member of one team or another, whether it was 
on the playground playing basketball or in the United States Navy or, or in public service in the civic arena uh, in this office. Um, I will continue to, to reach out across the aisle um, and, and solicit support and ideas to do things quicker, faster, smarter, safer. We don't see that on the national level, though, as much. People I'm, working together. I'm, Whoever, whichever side you blame, I'm proud, you to be, uh, I'm, I'm proud to lead the effort. Um, let's talk about some things that we could see this coming year, some hotly debated topics that are approaching. Sunday sales, cold beer sales. How involved will you be in the legislative process on some of those hot button issues? Well, it's not part of my, I laid my agenda out once again um, um, for, for not just legislative consumption, but for the public to, to know exactly where we would be focused. Uh, and once again, we'll be focused on doing things that can lead to a, a, a stronger economy, a more diversified economy, a stronger infrastructure platform, uh, a stronger workforce. We need to always be looking about how, what are the ways that we can improve. Um, On those issues though, do you look to, to make a clear statement of this is what yeah. I'd like to see? Yeah, uh, well, I'll work with the legislative uh, body uh, the House and the Senate, but again, it, that they're not part of my agenda. But I, but I have said, look, I, I, I want to make sure that the state of Indiana is always looking forward, and 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 this would be an example. Uh, our our um, state's alcohol laws. If there are ways that we can modernize those laws, um, I want to be part of that conversation. Others can lead um, that discussion because that's part of their agenda. Uh, and I want to, I want to, you know, I want to reach out to them for help on on my five pillars. CBD oil. Do you just want to see this law clarified, or do you want to see CBD oil be legalized for all Hoosiers? I believe CBD oil is legal with zero THC content, and so there needs to be some clarification. Obviously, I know legislative members are are looking at that. That's why I came out and said it's still legal to be bought and sold in the state of Indiana. There is a process, if there are ways that we can be clearer about that or labeling um, on, on the actual bottles, um, then so be it. I want to support that. I, I, I said we need 60 days so we as an administration could go out and, and help educate what is and isn't legal. CBD oil is legal to be bought and sold in the state of Indiana. Um, but that also gave the legislative leaders and members at least a month to get to, to know where they were pointed and what direction they were pointed. And if they need uh, more time to pass um, any additional law to help clarify, so be it, we'll work with them and, and we stand ready to do just that. Is this an issue, are, are you and the Attorney General on the same page on this issue? I know there was some discussion over needle exchanges on a separate topic where in a different view. Uh, on this issue, do, do you look at this from the same perspective? Differing views here. Uh, well, I, I just know what the legislature has passed, and and uh, and my interpretation is uh, that that we're complying under current law, my administration, to to allow CBD oil to be bought and sold in the state of Indiana, zero THC content, and and that's the way this administration will continue to to administer the law. Coming up, we'll talk about Indiana's former governor, Vice President Pence, walked a fine line on the Roy Moore controversy, largely keeping quiet about the situation. Some say his silence spoke volumes. Now he's getting ready for what could be 
another tie-breaking vote on tax reform. We'll have that, plus the latest on 2018, our Senate race could now be even more crucial. Our, planet, our panel weighs in. We hear from some of the lesser-known candidates as well when we come back. now with our panel, Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens, two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale, Republican Mike Murphy, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Thank you all for joining us Thanks. again. Jen, we'll start with you. Let's start with Alabama. What do the results really mean for America? What does it mean for 2018 and, more specifically, the Senate race here in Indiana? Well, first of all, I think I probably speak for all of us when I say, man, we were really wrong last Sunday. <laughs> we, we really botched that one, and I couldn't be happier as I a Democrat. I would have been wrong if I had been on the program <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a big night for Democrats. It was a big night for Doug Jones, and I think it was a big night for Alabama because those voters came out, and they completely repudiated everything that he stood for. This is a state where the Republican usually wins by half a million votes, Yes, Doug Jones only won by around about 20,000, but that's huge. What does it mean for Indiana? I have no idea. Um, we have a strong candidate. Obviously, Senator Donnelly is a strong candidate. But will we have issues like this on the Republican side? I don't know. Mike, how much of a ca cautionary tale is it, really? Well, it's always cautionary. You always learn lessons. But also, no, no election is repeated, right? So you can't take too much from it. Um, I will say it was a big night for Republicans, too, because you had more than 20,000 Alabama Republicans who had the courage to vote right in, which took away all the margin that Roy Moore would have had. So I think it was a good, a good night for America, generally speaking. Well, good night for Democrats, for sure, Christina. Well, certainly, you know, gives a little bit of a, uh, some momentum that we needed, some energy. You know, I think we had a little bit of collective low self-esteem after a number of elections that we've experienced lately. And this was that one thing we pinned our hopes on. And many of us didn't think it would be pulled off, but it was. Tim, do you think it's something that uh, the Democrats can build on? Well, maybe, but I think it was an even more important night for the Republican Party. Uh, thankfully, enough voters in Alabama saved the Republican Party from itself uh, and their and they will not have uh, Roy Moore dragging them down heading into 2018. It would have been uh, you know, an anchor. Every campaign commercial, every debate would have been, well, what's, your, what's your take on Roy Moore? And every candidate would have faced that question. Interesting to see the ripple effects almost immediate, especially with tax reform. There is a sense of urgency now to get that done. There is, and I think we saw this past week that uh, there are Republicans maybe taking advantage of that. I think Marco Rubio realized, oh, mm -hmm. we're now down to a one or two vote margin. I'm going to get what I want out of this bill, and it, it sounds like he did, but uh, everybody's a player now. Mike, are they going to well, get it I done? Think, I think they are going to get it done, and I think it's going to be a good thing for the Republican Party and for America in general. The question will be, is there some kind of you know, buyer's remorse a year or two down the road when the effects of the heightened um, deficit come into play. When adding a billion, uh, 1.5 trillion, I should say, to the deficit um, is, is not insignificant and it goes against everything my heroes like Mitch Daniels are for. <laughs> well, Christine, I mean, are Democrats going to be able to, uh, to, to stall at all? Is this a fait accompli at this point? It seems to be a fait accompli. Everyone will try to stall, but it's really good to see people thinking independently and trying to make the most of this opportunity. You know, people aren't just towing party lines here. They're trying to do the best for this country. I think they recognize, too, this is complicated. It's a big shift, and they are afraid of the consequences that people will feel at the kitchen table. 
the, the whole key is to is what happens after the vote in, in the in the long term, in the next year or two, in terms of economic growth. If the nation can get to three percent and hold three percent economic growth, then a lot of the fears uh, associated with this this tax reform bill will go away because the consequences of that, the good things that will come from that, uh, will inform those kitchen table conversations. But when we're thinking about the economics of this too, we can't forget that wages still are depressed. Here in Indiana, per capita income on the decline since 1962. Household income's been declining since the early 2000s. So I don't know that people are going to feel it in their pop pocketbook necessarily in such a positive, rosy way. But, but the only way to bring those salaries up, and it, it, they have lingered, is to have faster economic growth. We have a low unemployment rate what we're not seeing is an increase in productivity, which is associated with faster economic growth. And so if this tax reform package works and does what it's really intended to do, then we will see a rise in, in government revenue, which will help uh, address some of the concerns about, not all of them, but some of the concerns about, about the deficit. All right. Indiana Democrats, meantime, looking ahead to 2018, they're hoping this bodes well for Joe Donnelly. And now they're trying to link Roy Moore to Donnelly's opponents, State Chair John Zodi issued this statement Wednesday saying last night we saw why Congressman Messer and Rokita's decision to limp behind President Trump was uh, both morally reprehensible and politically foolish. Doug Jones's victory was a reminder of the importance of fighting for every seat in every state. Hoosier voters will remember that the people of Alabama rejected an alleged pedophile with pro-slavery views that Congressman Messer and Rokita would not. Here are some of the comments that they made about more in recent weeks on this very program. Based on the facts as I understand them, uh, Roy Moore should step down and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that will happen. So today you are now saying you believe you, you would like him to step down? Sure. I'd be comfortable uh, with whoever the voters of Alabama sent to, sent to, sent to the Senate. You know, and that's whose decision this is. And I'd be comfortable with Roy Moore. Nationally, Democrats are also putting out ads critical of Republicans in several key states, including Indiana, for the way they handled this Roy Moore controversy. So the question is, will it be an issue now that Moore has been defeated? Jen? No. Um, that was quite the word salad that my friend John Zodi put out. That was quite the mishmash of comments from those Republican Senate candidates before the election. Roy Moore is going to be barely a household name by the end of this month, let alone in November of next year. It's not something that's going to reverberate? No, a, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot more happen between now and November of 2018. You cannot blame any Republican for what happened in Alabama. You know, Rokita may have dodged a little bit. I think Messer was pretty right on. I think uh, actually Vice President Pence gets some great credit for not joining in with uh, President Trump and trying to help Roy Moore. But, but there, you, this will be gone in two weeks. Mike, I want to talk about an issue that you weighed in on earlier this week as well. Let's talk about the vice president's role in all of this as well. Here's how the Indy Star's Tony Cook wrote it up. He says, quote, as Trump went in all in for more, Pence's silence spoke volumes. Pence initially expressed support for more, but that changed after the Washington Post published allegations of sexual misconduct against Moore in early November. The vice president's press secretary, even as late as Election Day on Tuesday, referred to the Indy Star to referred the Indy Star to her earlier statement saying, quote, the vice president found the allegations in the story disturbing and believes if true, this would disqualify anyone from serving in office. So 
the vice president is walking a fine line. Mike, you weighed in on this article saying that the vice president's moral compass came into play here. I think it did. He didn't want to step on the toes of the president. He cannot. Um, but he did everything he could uh, to make sure people knew that he was not comfortable with Roy Moore. He did not endorse him. He did not make phone calls for him. He stayed completely away from it. And, you know, it's a reporter's job to call vice president's office and, and see if there's a little, you know, crack in the wall, so to speak. But they repeated the same statement from a couple months ago. And I think uh, Pence deserves some credit here. It was interesting to see. I do think people in Indiana, Republicans and Democrats, will note that Donald Trump, although he campaigned hard for Roy Moore, to what effect? None. So I think we're beginning to see the cracks in the armor, and people will think twice, perhaps, about affiliating with our president. Tim? Well, I think, I think we can learn, uh, we can't learn a whole lot of lessons from Roy Moore. It was such an extreme case. Um, and whether Donald Trump can help a more credible candidate is, is the real test. All right. Now, let's talk about Indiana's current governor. You heard the interview earlier with Governor Holcomb about this cannabis oil controversy, CBD oil, among other issues. But again, perhaps a divide here between the governor and the attorney general on this issue. Um, interesting to see uh, two highly elected uh, officials of the same party disagreeing so openly. On an issue that I don't think most people in Indiana understand. Um, it is interesting, and I think the governor gets a lot of credit for being pragmatic, for approaching this issue and others in a, uh, in a way that he's trying to bring consensus. I don't understand this issue, admittedly, cannabis, marijuana, not my jam, but like, we're talking about things that Christina gets for her dog to help her dog feel better. I'm not really sure why this is a marquee issue, and I'm not sure why there's disagreement among these two elected officials. It's going to be something that has to be legislated, don't well, you think? Well, yes, but the more interesting element of this whole thing is that um, Curtis Hill is a different kind of attorney general than we had under Steve Carter or Greg Zeller. Traditionally, the attorney general is the governor's lawyer, essentially. And he's taken a, a very vocal, um, oppositional role to the governor. He did the same thing when it comes to needle exchanges with the African-American Public Health Commissioner at the time, who's now the Surgeon General. So he's not afraid to step out and make a name for himself. I just, I just hope he's thinking before he does it. I want to move on to another issue very quickly uh, uh, here in Indianapolis. Meantime, Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett working on a new strategy to prevent violence. Hogsett wants a million dollars a year to go toward new crime-fighting initiatives over the next three years. Now, the mayor's office is working with the city county council to figure out a way to pay for this program and keep the budget balanced. The money will go toward a new violence reduction director and also boost crime prevention grants. So. How is he going to be able to pay for this, Tim? I think you can find the money somewhere in the budget. Not going to be easy. It's a tight budget. But, but this is the highest priority the city has, is to reduce this level of violence. It's grown for each year in the last three years. It's, it's totally unacceptable. The mayor's right. We, it's not just uh, up to the police. This, is, this has to be a community-wide effort. All right, up next on In Focus, we've heard a lot about the top two or three candidates in Indiana's race for Senate. But what of some of the lower, lesser-known names? We'll sit down with two of the Republican candidates right after this break. Welcome back to In Focus. We've heard a lot from the three main candidates in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate. Recently, Dan sat down with two candidates who aren't as well known. Purdue Polytechnic Director Andrew Takami and Kokomo Attorney Mark Hurt, who worked for Senator Dan Coats. Uh, when I saw the country, certainly Indiana, uh, coalescing around Donald Trump and Mike Pence, 
it was really encouraging to me because I saw a lot of disunity across the nation. But in Indiana, we saw people coming together. So I knew this was time for someone like me that's not a political person to perhaps get involved to serve. That's good citizenship. Uh, trying to look at it from that outsider perspective, right. obviously there are a couple of big name candidates uh, in this race who serve in Congress who've captured a lot of attention already and have kind of gone back and forth and butted heads at times. Why do you think voters need to look at, at some of the other candidates in this race, like yourself, and get past some of this uh, feuding perhaps between Luke Messer and Todd Rokita? Well, you know, I, I think they're already looking for another candidate. Uh, when I see the polls, there's over 60% of the people that want another candidate. Uh, they want more responsibility. And so it's not that people in politics are, are not responsible. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with people having experience. We all have experience. Uh, but I think the reason why people are already looking is the fact that they want to see some new things, some things change. The president's party usually loses 30 to 35 seats in the House, handful of seats in the Senate. I think Indiana is uniquely positioned with Mike Pence in the administration and Donald Trump winning this state by about 19 points. I think Republicans can win this, recapture the seat, and uh, you know, I'll support the winner. I think I'm the best person. My foreign relations experience and in that breadth and depth of state, federal, now local uh, government experience, I think makes me uniquely qualified. So many problems in our society, I think uh, the root of the issue is the family and trying to make family stronger but uh, it's taught me a lot, getting away from D.C., working in what I want to say, the real world. I think that makes me the best candidate. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Tim, we'll start with you. Well, they were my losers last week, and I was wrong. So my winners this week have to be the voters of Alabama. Christina? Um, the state of Indiana. This week we laid to rest Andre uh, Lacey, who mm. is one of our greatest sure. civic leaders, I would say, of all time. He lived for others. Mike? Mm. Uh, winner has to be Richard Shelby, who stood up against his own party and other senators. The loser, 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 Steve Bannon. All right. And I'll go with the obvious because no one named him. Doug Jones has to be the winner. Uh, and the voters of Alabama, I agree with that. And I don't have a loser this week. There you go. Hey, that's a good week, right? <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday on In Focus. Okay, welcome to the In Focus podcast. A lot of stuff to talk about this week. Um, Roy Moore really dominated the conversation. Um, Mike, you wanted to talk a little bit about Steve Bannon and the, uh, the impact now that maybe he's not going to have on the Republican Party? Well, I think that's the way to put it. I think, uh, I think his, his time is over. I think he uh, hurt uh, Donald Trump. No matter what you think of Trump, he hurt Trump continuously through 2017. Then he thinks he's the guru of Senate campaigns. He declares war on Mitch McConnell and his candidates, which obviously doesn't get him any cooperation. Um, and then, you know, I think Peter King said it probably a little too harshly, but interestingly, here's a conservative congressman from New York who said on uh, CNN this week, he said that it's time for C Steve Bannon to leave the national political stage. He looks like a disheveled drunk up there. And, and, and the, the, the anchor said, are you ready to take on Steve Bannon? He goes, yes. He said, I'm tired of him undercutting the, the Trump uh, you know, uh, agenda, and I'm tired of him making fun of Ivanka Trump, and on and on and on. But Tim, he still, he still runs Breitbart. He's still not going, runs he's not Breitbart, going but I think he saw, we saw the limits of what Steve Bannon can do in Alabama. I mean, when you lose 
a, a Senate seat in Alabama of all places, you, you're not exactly a kingmaker. No, but has, I mean, I guess the question about Bannon to me, and I'm not a Republican, so you guys will have to but answer this be, one for me. No. <laughs> no, 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 I was raised Republican, <laughs> and then I grew up to be a Democrat, Mike. Um, wow, low blows on the podcast today. No, the question is, has, has this civil war within the Republican Party, is it the cause of uh, what I see is Trump's base is distancing itself from him? Um, and I think it's because of this, this infighting that, I mean, he lost them in Alabama. They didn't show up for Roy Moore. And I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it's because of Bannon. I don't know if it's because they're just sick and tired of, of hearing about Roy Moore's record. But is he actually undermining your party? And, and I, don't, I don't know that it's going to stop. Christina? Well, I, I think that's an interesting question, Jen. And I think we have to just... I was reading an article this past week. I wish I could recall who the columnist was, but they were saying that the Republican Party used to stand for excellence. And I think right now they are fighting for their heart and soul because so much of that has drifted for the sake of getting people elected, the short-term tactical rather than the long-term strategy, which has taken away from their national brand. It used to be if you were a good person in many parts of this country, you were a Republican. Right. They owned God. And you, were, and you, were trusted on, God. you were trusted on the economy. You were trusted yes. on religion. You were trusted on taxes. Just on the podcast. That was part so. of the brand affiliation. <laughs> right. No, and that, that They're dealing that away right now with a lot of the choices they're making. I, I think today's theme is confessions of a Democrat. I mean, that, that's, I've never heard <laughs> them know. say such nice Do things have, about have Republicans. Do you have anything to add? Are you, uh, are you trying <laughs> to tell us something, Tim? Let me Tim? say this again. Let me hear this again. She said if you're a good person... You are number one closer to God. And no, I said first. No, no, no. It used no. to be. <laughs> I would have jumped in. Part of the brand. You wanted to add something, Tim? I think the extremism within an element of the Republican Party um, is hurting uh, the Republican brand, as as you said. But at the same time, it's costing. The short-term thinking is we have to do this to win elections, but the reality is it's cost them a lot of elections. Uh, nominating Richard Murdoch over Richard Lugar in Indiana 2010 cost Republicans a Senate seat. We saw the same thing happen just now in Alabama. Uh, the same thing happened in Nevada when they had a good chance to unseat Harry Reid. If, if, if Republicans could begin to uh, put forward a little bit more moderate, not liberal, a little bit more moderate candidates who would play to uh, independent voters, they would be very, very dominant and even more dominant uh, in Congress today Tim, than what Tim they has have a, been. Tim has a great point, and that is, they go back to the Nixon years, there is still a silent majority. They work hard, they pay their taxes, they go to church, they raise their kids, and they're going to vote Republican or Democrat, whichever way that turns out. But the problem is, it's the extremes in both parties who choose the candidates. So, so we had Roy Moore, and we've had Richard Murdoch and others. And the Democrats have had, you know, Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and, and how more extreme can you get some of the this other people in, in their party. And so we need to get back towards governing toward the center. The whole way you win elections is by winning one more vote than the other guy or other lady. And that tends to be in America just right of center, not far right and not far left. Well, I can tell you I was a Democrat representing a Republican district and I knocked on tens of thousands of doors and it felt to me like there were three parties, the extremes in the Democrat and Republican camps and everybody else in the middle. And they just really wanted some simple things, be good stewards of our tax dollars, do the right thing and work on what's really important. And so if that's the silent majority, I get it. And I said earlier, you know, Republicans tend used to be thought of as the good people. Democrats 
used to be thought of as the nice people. And I think those are very different things, but if you chessboard that out, you'll see how it comes to play today. I'd like to point out, um, speaking of Richard Murdoch, this is just a funny little aside. I was talking to a Republican friend of mine after the Roy Moore thing. Y'all remember Christine O'Donnell, right? Sure. The I'm not a witch lady. Sure. Wow, can we go back to that in politics? Can we go back to the time <laughs> yeah. when that was like a major deal? Like, oh, you're not a witch. Cool. But you yeah. didn't sexually harass anyone, right? Like, you didn't have sex with anyone who was a teenager. We're good. Tim, you had a point you wanted to make. Well, I, I, we're not. What I'm not talking about is Ted. Ted Cruz is very conservative. Elizabeth Warren is very liberal. And there should be a place for for those types of candidates in each party because they're representing legitimate points of view within their party. You may disagree with them, but it's a legitimate point of view within their party. What I'm talking about, Republicans have have, have a pattern now of nominating unelectable candidates who get through the primary appealing to the extreme, but don't have the ability to appeal to anybody else beyond the extreme. Well, I, I think he's right. We, what we have is, and I, I'll blame some of this on talk radio, the most shrill voices on talk radio get the, the highest ratings. The echo chamber. So then the most shrill candidates who, who play on into that talk radio, they get the nomination. I don't care which side, which side you're on. It's, and, then, and then you end up with people like Roy Moore and Richard Murdoch, and then this past week we had the first female uh, woman from Kansas, Andrea uh, mm -hmm. Ramsey, who had to withdraw from a race because she sexually harassed a man, which is unusual. But So the door swinging both ways, so to speak, now. I think the extremes, we need to move back toward the center. But right. I want to say, too, Americans, let's step up our game, all of us. Let's get out and vote. We have one of the worst voter turnouts relative to other developed nations. Indiana has one of the worst voter turnouts relative to other states. So let's stop letting the activists out there making the decisions for us. Let's get everybody exercising our civic duty. That sounds like a good last word. I, I do have to say that uh, it was a special election in Alabama. Turnout was actually very, very good for, mm -hmm. for that election for, for obvious reasons. All right, that's the podcast. We'll see you again next week.